Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. In life, friends come in many buckets. Old school friends, people you watch the Warriors with, neighbors, and then there's the work friend. The coworker who understands how you spend eight long hours of your day. Luis in accounting, Maya on the third floor, Gary the line cook. They are the person you seek out for coffee breaks, whether it's to celebrate or commiserate. But the pandemic has put a kink in a lot of workplaces. The hybrid work environment, is that really what we're calling it? And shrunken social circles of the pandemic certainly have made it harder for some kinds of work friendships to thrive. Today we'll get your stories of work friends past and present and celebrate the unique nature of the work friend. That's all coming up next. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. My first real job was as a telemarketer selling software to manage material safety data sheets. Yeah, I don't really remember what those are either, but that's what we did. I was 15, and our boss required that we call him Jimbo, even though his name was just Jim. Each Wednesday, we had a group outing to a hot dog stand called the Wiener Wagon, and Jimbo sent out emails excitedly celebrating Wiener Wednesday. This was not a good job, and I was not very good at it. My first work friend, Kimberly, however, was quite good at it. She could cold call a paper mill in Georgia, that's kind of what we did, and come out of it with a sale in 10 minutes flat. And though she was probably 25 years older than me, I always appreciated walking to get bento bowls with her or rolling our eyes together at Jimbo. Thank you, Kimberly. Emma Goldberg covers business for the New York Times, and she recently published The Magic of Your First Work Friends. In it, she wrote, There's an electricity to forming that first close friend at work. It's the thrill of staying too late at drinks to keep giggling. It's the delight of darting to someone's desk and dragging her to the bathroom to gossip. It's the tenderness of showing up to work on a rough morning and realizing a coworker will know instantly that something is wrong. It's a wonderful piece and a great jumping off point for today's show. Welcome, Emma. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. I have to ask before we introduce the rest of our panel, who was your first work friend? Um, my Well, one of my, I think, first really close work friends was at the New York Times. I had just started as a fact checker editorial assistant in um, for the editorial board. And I was paired to work with a woman named Mara Gay, who's a fantastic reporter at the Times. And we spent um, that whole summer working on an investigation together. And it involved reading through thousands of pages of legal documents. And I think one of the first things I noticed about um, the experience is that I got to watch Mara at work. And I still think half of what I learned about reporting, I just watched from doing her, watching her do her thing, you know, 
making all the calls to sources and just kind of keeping calm under pressure, grilling people in more challenging circumstances, sitting with people in really emotional interviews. And I was just kind of mentally taking notes and just um, really watching her soaring through this project. And then I remember as the project was wrapping up, we went out to these drinks one night where it suddenly shifted into more of a like social warm friendship. And I was like, wow, we can just kind of do that switch from, being in the midst of this really cumbersome project to just laughing over silly things that were going on in our lives. And then over the course of the pandemic, I think it really shifted into the deepest work friendship Mm -hmm. where we could take walks together, you know, deliver each other meals when we were sick, um, help each other through all kinds of, you know, breakups, apartment hunts, um, everything life throws your way. So I think that was definitely one of my first experiences of seeing like, oh, you can really be in the thick of a crazy work project with someone and then just become the best of friends totally outside of that, having nothing to do with work. Yeah. We're talking about work friends, those folks who understand how you spend those long work hours of your day. We're joined first here by Emma Goldberg, a reporter with The New York Times who wrote the article, The Magic of your first work friends. Want to add in the rest of our panel. Julie Beck is a senior editor at The Atlantic. She's written extensively about friendships. She actually created this whole project at The Atlantic called Friendship Files. Uh, Welcome to the show, Julie. Hey, Alexis. Thanks for having me. Julie, I have to ask, I mean, we did work together. Would you say we were work friends or more like work acquaintances? (laughs) Just not to put you on the spot. work friends I mean work friends fill a lot of different roles right like you can have people that you're super close to and the friendship extends outside of work and then you need people which I feel like is more what we were that you're friends in the office and you have them there as like support and chat during the day um and that's really important too I totally agree okay good I just didn't want to call you my work friend without first clearing it for you on live radio (laughs) Yes, you have my permission. Thank you. Uh, We're also joined by Dr. Uh, Marissa G. Franco. She's a psychologist and friendship expert, and she's got a forthcoming book titled Platonic, How the Science of Attachment Can Help You Make and Keep Friends. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Franco. Thanks so much for having me. And of course, this is the kind of show where we want to hear stories from our listeners as well. And we're going to start out, first prompt for you is, who was your first work friend, and are you still in touch? That one seems like uh, an important one. Um, Julie, you know, when we were listening to Emma talk about her— Oh, let me give the number. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's KQED Forum. And the email, of course, is forum at kqed.org. Um, Julie, when we were listening to Emma talk about— you know, her first work friend at the Times, you know, they were kind of um, paired, symbol, kind of maybe similar uh, type uh, stage of life. Can you make work friends as you get older or go from job to job? Or do you think there really is something kind of distinct about, you know, er- early job experiences and, and what those work friends are like? Yeah, that's a huge question. I mean, I think you can always make work friends at any age and and work is a really great place to make friends because you probably have something in common at least a little bit since you're working in the same field and also you're just trapped with them all day (laughs) day, right and like a big factor in friendship is like simply proximity and like who do you see the most um but I think when you're young like there there 
is um, sometimes more of an ease to making friends because in many cases you don't have the responsibilities of middle age, you know, with family and like, um, you know, broadening career responsibilities and all those things. So sometimes you have a little bit more space in your life to, um, to make new friendships. So it can be easier. Yeah. Uh, Marissa, I wanted to ask you, how does a work friend actually affect people's job job? You know, is it important for them to have work friends to sort of ha- like like what they're doing? Yeah. So this is something that I found out over time because at first I was like, this just takes away from all the work that I have to do. But once I delved into the research, I found that um, work friends contribute to our performance, our innovation, our creativity, our likelihood of being retained. Basically, all the outcomes that employers look for, connection and belonging, helps manifest. So interesting. Emma, what do you think are the most important qualities that a work friend needs to have? Oh, that's a great question. I think it probably varies on um, what you're looking for. I I don't know what a Jimbo would say something different than (laughs) your average boss or work friend. But um, I think one thing that's really important is to kind of try and distance yourself as much as possible from the competitive element. Because I think what what I found in in my conversations with people is that work friendships can be really fraught because you are, you know, working alongside someone, both trying to advance, both like maybe, you know, sharing your ambitions, sharing your, your creative visions, trying to collaborate and bounce ideas off each other. So I think the the most important is that the friendship and the relationship, um, takes precedence over you know your own kind of wanting to to jostle or jockey your way through a workplace I think you need to really fundamentally want the best for everyone around you and and that allows the friendship to thrive and to then nurture your own ideas and thinking because you want to be able to really share your your thoughts with people your ideas like help one another improve and not view one another as Mm -hmm. you know uh Emma Goldberg, reporter for the New York Times, as you were kind of defining it in your piece or thinking about it in your piece, was this kind of work friend kind of a creature of the office job? Or do you feel like this kind of work friend exists, you know, everywhere from, you know, dudes working for Sonic, you know, putting in Internet fiber and people in restaurants and bars? Or is this really like you must have a nearby cubicle in order to have a, a work friend in the kind of your thinking? One of the questions that definitely led us to wanting to tackle this piece, my editor and I, is wondering how much of this can be replicated in remote work. And I think the jury's still out on that a little bit. I was really fascinated um, to speak with a lot of young people who were saying they really want to be back in the office and they are struggling a little bit, I think, to replicate those relationships over Zoom. I don't think it's impossible. I think it's a little bit of a, a work in progress figuring out how that happens. Yeah. Marissa Franco, uh, does the research tell us much about how to build friendships in this kind of pandemic adult era where we're maybe not spending as much time just raw in the office? Yeah, I don't know if the research has really caught up upon it, but my speculation is that just like, I guess, how making friends as an adult is more generally, we can't assume that it'll happen organically because that's actually related to being more lonely over time. I think that's even more true in the remote workspace because Friendship used to maybe happen more organically when we'd sort of bump into each other at work, but because that's not happening, I think to make work friends now in this sort of hybrid or work from home environment, we're really going to have to be intentional. Yeah. You know, Julie Beck 
I feel like there are some companies that have very strong kind of digital cultures and like chatty workplaces like in Slack or whatever kind of software they use. Um, do you feel like those friendships need to make the jump to sort of real life in order to become real friendships? Yeah, I think some some of um, the open question of like how you can make a work friendship in a hybrid environment does it is a bit out of your control because it depends a little bit on the company culture. If you do have a very chatty goofing off in Slack, like kind of a vibe in your workplace, like it might be easier. And if everybody's just like very down for business, um, you might have to put in a little bit more of an effort and in, one-on-one in -on -one conversations. Um, Cause it may not happen in the, in the kind of communal spaces. Um, but what was the second part of your question? Just if there were like, you know, do you have to go into IRL in real life with those, um, with those <laughs> friendships in order to make them real? Yeah, I mean, I think that they are real, even if they are limited to the workplace, right? Um, like we were saying before, like every, every friendship serves a different purpose. And we only have like the cognitive capacity to have very close relationships with a limited number of people. And so you do have to prioritize. It's not something I think we necessarily do consciously. Like I am going to prioritize, you know, so-and-so over so-and-so. Um, but yeah, it, we were limited in that capacity. So, but if it is somebody who you really connect with, you really click with, and you want to have more than just like a chat and not the water cooler kind of a friendship, um, like Dr. Franco was saying, like you, you do need to have a little bit of courtship, maybe like make that first move. And there, there is awkwardness involved in that when you are changing environments, right? Like taking that friendship out into the real world. But if nobody makes a move, it's not going to happen. <laughs> We're talking about work friends with Emma Goldberg, a reporter at the New York Times, Julie Becker, senior editor at The Atlantic, and Dr. Marissa Franco, psychologist and friendship expert. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply, not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about work friends, those people you seek out for coffee breaks to commiserate about deadlines, work pressure, maybe the boss. We're joined by Emma Goldberg, a reporter with The New York Times who covers the future of work. She wrote the article, The Magic of Your First Work Friends. Really good. Uh, Julie Beck, senior editor at The Atlantic, who's written extensively about friendships as part of The Atlantic's Friendship Files and her most recent piece is The Six Forces That Fuel Friendship. And Dr. Marisa Franco. Uh, Marissa Franco, excuse me, a psychologist and friendship expert. Her forthcoming book is titled Platonic, How the Science of Attachment Can Help You Make and Keep Friends. 
And we would love to hear your work friend stories. If you had a work friend who became a friend outside of work, the number is 866-733-6786. Maybe you can tell us about your first work friend if you want to and whether you're still in touch. The number is 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Um, Julie, I wanted to ask you, you know, your work on friendships has you know, really focused on these kind of unusual friendships and like just all the, the many things we call friends, many types of relationships um, that we call friends. From your work, can you remember some of the most interesting work friendships that you were able to, to find? Sure. Yeah. So for the friendship files, I would interview really anybody with an interesting friendship story or perspective on friendship. And some of those were just like regular folks um, who who had interesting thoughts or met in an interesting way. Um, and then we did have some more high profile friendships. Um, and a lot of them did start at work. So, you know, I interviewed some astronauts who were friends. Um, <laughs> I, I interviewed um, a pair of guys who were collaborators on a lot of the like classic songs from Sesame Street. Um, like they wrote Put Down the Ducky, if that rings any bells, or maybe I'm <laughs> aging myself. Um, but yeah, so so it was really interesting um, in some of those conversations to see how like a really good creative partnership or just um, collaboration at work could lead to a very deep bond. Yeah. Um, one listener writes in to say, in my first real job, what brought me and my work friends together was shared agony. Long hours on the job, stress about the boss, intense clients. I bonded with my fellow work friends sitting in a warehouse looking through boxes of dusty documents. It was so miserable, but the joke sustained us, as did our shared hatred of our boss, who we called Darth Vader and the Prince of Darkness. I'm still in touch with all of those folks 20 years later. Um, Marissa Franco, I wanted to ask you if you know there is a certain amount of bonding that comes with like complaining about the work environment, complaining about <laughs> capitalism, maybe generally, but... Can that like verge into like becoming kind of a toxic uh, dynamic? Um, that's a great question. I think that what complaining can do is that it can convey trust because it says to, you, to your coworkers, I trust you enough to do something that- You're not going to rat me out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And anything that conveys trust can really help create and foster friendship. Um, so I think that it can be bonding. And we also know from the research that going through difficult experiences together is one of the ways that friendships are formed. And I guess that could be at the workplace, too, if you have a really difficult boss. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's bring in Paul from Oakland. First caller. Welcome, Paul. Hey, how you doing? Hey, good, good. Thanks for calling. Good, good. Well, I wanted to mention I have met some wonderful multi-generational friends and multicultural friends through work that I probably wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise. Mm -hmm. Like, um, where did, where were you working? Um, it's, I was working in an art school in downtown Oakland, and I w had the pleasure of working with a lot of older teachers mm -hmm. and making lifelong friends with some of them. Mm -hmm. And as I've gotten older... I meet younger people that I definitely probably wouldn't have met, and I've become great friends with them, too. Yeah. Thanks for that uh, point, Paul. I think that is an excellent point. You know, Emma Goldberg, I wanted to ask you this. I mean, you focused on 
first work friends. But as time goes on, these relationships kind of change, right? Because the people that you meet, you know, at first, lots of people in the workplace are older than you. And as you grow up, you know, people get younger and, and younger. True. I, yeah, very, very few of us can Benjamin Button. Um, but I do think that when you're earlier in your career, you probably have a sort of more capacious attitude toward friendships. Um, you have uh, potentially just more time to invest in broadening your community. So not only do you form friendships, but your friends' friends are incorporated into your life. So it can really transform um, your social circle. It can transform the way you spend your time. And I think that can be important because as, as our caller alluded to, um, sometimes the people you meet in your workplace are, you know, sort of present an opportunity um, to, to expand your, your worldview. You might meet people of different generations. You might meet people who grew up in different places than you, people who went to school in other places, people with different interests or backgrounds. So it could be a real opportunity to bring um, diversity into your social circles in an important way. But I, I do think that kind of the earlier you are in your career, um, potentially the more um, you might be able to really say yes to all the opportunities that your work friends present. You know, if they invite you to dinner, if they invite you to do something on the weekends, you just might have a little more bandwidth and time than you do later on in your career when maybe you have um, all kinds of other obligations in your life. Yes, exactly. I mean, one of our, our producer, Blanca Torres, and I were talking about when the ideal happy hour time is for parents. It turns out the real answer is never. Uh, but the, the second answer is much earlier than it would be for young people, most likely. Um, Julie, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, during the pandemic, at least in most offices, not everyone is kind of in the office at the same time, right? So like at KQED, I become friendly with people I might not have, um, if like my entire department was full all the time, like in the building. So, you know, Kiana up in podcasts and Kiara in member services and Anthony writes grants, you know, they're not even on my same floor, but when the building is sort of empty-ish, you end up running into other people. Have there been kind of uh, stories that you've run into or your own experiences that say like, well, you know, sometimes unusual office situations can actually help foster kind of interesting other kinds of connections? Yeah, like I was saying, I mean, I think so much of it is just proximity. And like, there are a lot of other factors that influence, you know, who we become friends with. But um, I mean, even think of school, right? Like you're, you're just trapped in there all day with these people. And so, so we make a lot of our very close friends in school. Um, so I think one thing that's, um, that I've noticed with the hybrid work environment is, um, it's just who is in DC anymore. I'm in Washington, DC. Um, you know, some people have moved. Um, we have like half of our team is in New York. And so, I have, you know, my digital interactions with them, but if I do go into the DC office, I'm just going to see who lives in DC, kind of regardless <laughs> of what team they're on. And, and you know, maybe we're, um, you know, clumping up a little bit more uh, if we're the only ones there. So, so I do think that, you know, there is an opportunity um, just bumping into people um, to, to potentially make connections that you wouldn't if you were kind of focused on who do I work most directly with. Right, right. Totally. Uh, we're talking about work friends this morning. Those people in the cubicle next to you or who you're standing next to at the cashier counter. We're joined by Emma Goldberg with The New York Times, Julie Bex with The Atlantic, and Dr. Marissa Franco. 
a psychologist and friendship expert, and she's got a book coming out titled Platonic, How the Science of Attachment Can Help You Make and Keep Friends. And we do want to hear from you. How have you sustained your work friendships during the pandemic? You can give us a call, 866-733-6786, but the line seemed kind of jammed up. So you can also write in at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, KQED Forum. And the email, of course, is forum at kqed.org. Let's bring in another caller, Liliana in San Francisco. Welcome. Hi, Alexis. Thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, I just wanted to talk about a good friend of mine that I I met back in 2014. She saw me present a community involvement action plan while in graduate school, and then I ended up being able to intern and work for that organization, and it was my first paid job Mm. in my field, and I was so nervous, and I'm even nervous now my voice is shaking. You're doing um, great. You're doing great. Okay, okay. Yeah, um, and we are still friends to this day in uh, 2022, and um, she's I consider her like a close friend and also a professional mentor. We are a lot's happened since 2014, both professionally and personally, but uh, we're still there for each other. And I just uh, really resonate with uh, with this topic, particularly because um, it's 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 different making friends remotely in, in jobs. So anyways, I don't want to take up too much time. Oh, no, no. Well, let me ask you that. this. What did what did she do that made you feel comfortable? She was just kind. Um, I am a really shy person, and just having her every day um, saying good morning and asking how I am, seeing if I wanted wanted coffee, like that sort of thing, just treating me like a, like a human being, I guess. But it just it made the difference uh it made such a difference especially because i was commuting from east oakland to um san francisco at the time so it was it was a long commute and knowing that there was at least one friendly face yeah um, yeah really really helped you know it's funny i I was talking with my daughter you know who's six about going to a camp and she was just like i hope i make a friend on the first day which for her literally means kind of like someone who just says hey do you want to be friends? <laughs> and unfortunately, is as adults, we don't say that to each other, do we, Emma Goldberg? We don't just say, hey, do you want to be friends? Thank you, Liliana, for sharing that. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, I, I love that question of what sustains work friendships, because I do think, you know, sometimes the simplest gestures and efforts can go such a long way. Um, and I, I, one of the things I think is one of the opportunities of remote and flexible work is that we've kind of untethered um, doing the work from the workplace for uh, for a lot of companies. You know, we've shown that um, all kinds of different work can get done outside of the traditional sites that we've associated with work getting done. And I think we can do the same with work friendships. It's, it's possible to say, you know, we think of work friendships as the person sitting in the cubicle over from you who asked you to go get coffee, but it can also be the person who you think to, to send a Slack to in the middle of the day and see if they want to go on a walk with you. Yeah. So I think just as we've untethered um, work from where we traditionally thought work gets done, we can also think about how to you know detach friendship formation from those traditional sites of the cubicles alongside each other to Anywhere where you can make an effort to see someone or to check in on them or to do a little thing that, you know, brightens each of your days. Yeah. Um, you know, Marisa uh, Franco, I wanted to ask you about 
you know, do, should we just have more formal procedures? Like, does it help to say, hey, I would like to be friends with you? Or is that totally weird? <laughs> I think we should really normalize that because we tend to rely on this assumption that friendships happen organically. And um, there's a sociologist and she says, friendships only happen organically if you have continuous unplanned interaction and shared vulnerability. And I think the problem at work specifically is that we don't have vulnerability. Um, We show our coworkers just one side of us. And that's why other studies find that interestingly, the more time we spend together at work, the less close we end up feeling because we only end up showing our sort of work persona. And so I think to make true friendship, we need to break out of that. We need to take some risks. We need to show people who we are and we need to show um, direct and overt interest in actually developing a friendship with people. Yeah, thank you, Marisa Franco. Let's go to Pat in San Francisco. Welcome, Pat. Hey, Pat, can you hear us? Oh, sorry about that. Oh, it's okay. This is Heather in San Francisco. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Um, I just wanted to tell my story. So I started as a lawyer about 20 years ago with a bunch of other like phenomenal women at like one of those big firms in San Francisco. And we like formed such an amazing friendship in those first formative years. I'd say we all stayed together working for the first, like about five to seven years and everyone split up and went all over the country, but we've maintained the strongest friendships and they're some of my very best friends. And so October, we're all going together to walk the Camino de Santiago in Spain together. Oh my gosh. They walk just to like spend some good quality time back together. But those ladies, and it was just interesting. I think it's true. Like the ones you kind of meet at the beginning of your work career, you really keep that bond with because you kind of like go through the, through the um, trenches together. So I just, when I heard this topic, I was so happy. I wanted to share that story. That's so, that's amazing. I mean, that's quite a deep friendship to go do like a trek across Spain. It is. We'll see how it is, but I think we'll do wonderful on it. We've had a text thread going for quite some time so wow thanks so much for that uh great great topic let's go uh straight to lee in oakland hey lee hi and thank you for taking my call um so this is a this is a wonderful topic and i wanted to share that for the first time in my career you know i'm 38 for the first time in my whole career i have friends at work that are so rewarding and wonderful but I have seen the flip side, and I wanted to, to hear you guys talk a little bit more about the dangers of having work friendships, especially where professional um, stuff comes into play. You know, I work in healthcare, and for nursing, our professional lives extend far, far into our personal lives. And I have seen a coworker who went out drinking with friends and got a little too intoxicated, mm-hmm. and uh, that ended up going back to the wrong person at work. And she had a discussion about professional behavior mm-hmm. with her boss. Right. And so I just I, I wanted to hear about sort of, you know, the where it intersects with the professionalism and, and being such a good one. Dr. Franco. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, first, I want to say, I think while that is a, a possibility, it, it tends to be a huge barrier for why people don't make work friends because they think, oh, if I show myself, it can be used against me. Whereas for the vast majority of people, they have non-scandalous friendships and they just end up um, experiencing the rewards of friendship. So I wanted to just share that. But I think when things end up becoming um, a little bit of a problem is I think we can think about professionalism as doing things that make other people feel safe. 
And when we think about it that way, I think we can also think about that as part of friendship, right? We want to make other people feel safe. We want to make other people feel comfortable. We want to make our um, our boss feel safe, right? Not disclosing um, information that's confidential in, in, in an environment where it's not safe. And so I think when we um, when we see our work friendships as these are friendships where I'll also do things that will make people feel safe, that will make my employers feel safe as well, then we can see it as more aligned with friendship instead of separate from what friendship inherently is. And so we can we can um, include that sort of consideration of others and consideration of our behavior and how that might come off to other people as also a part of the sort of larger definition of work friends that we might have. Mm. Thanks, Dr. Franco. Susan writes in to say, my first longtime job after college was at Stanford University in 1969. Although I lost touch with the people I directly worked with, I'm still in touch with the Stanford employees who got together to form a union in 1969 called United Stanford Employees, or USE. The union still exists as an SEIU local, and our friendship has also lasted for more than 50 years. I'm in regular contact with one friend, and a group of friends from that time meet annually to celebrate birthdays. Uh, Ruth writes in to say, I worked for 35 years at a university-based research outreach clinic in Michigan, and the people I worked with, mostly fellow social workers, became my closest friends and my great support throughout the years. Many of us are now retired. The retirees continue to meet monthly, but now, since they're meeting on Zoom, I can join them once a month, and it is a great joy to keep up with their lives now and see that our friendship is still strong and meaningful. One good thing about the pandemic. We are talking about work friends, those folks who stand next to you, sit next to you, go on walks with you, get coffee with you, people you commiserate with about deadlines, work pressure, life in general. We're joined by Dr. Marissa Franco, a psychologist and friendship expert. Her forthcoming book is titled Platonic, How the Science of Attachment Can Help You Make and Keep Friends. Emma Goldberg, reporter from The New York Times, who wrote the article that sort of inspired this segment, The Magic of Your First Work Friends. And Julie Beck, a senior editor at The Atlantic, who's written extensively about friendships as part of The Atlantic's Friendship Files. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more after the break. Friends, friends, friends. Friends, 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 friends. La 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 la. Friends, 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 friends. La 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 la. Friends, la 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 la. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about work friends, and you're telling us your work friend stories. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's KQED Forum. And the email's forum 
at kqed.org. Let's bring in Jim from El Cerrito. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Can you hear me? Sure can. Go ahead. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, the, about uh, 45 years ago, I developed a, a friendship with, with uh, a friend at uh, Bethlehem Steel in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. We both worked in the shipyard. We were both welders. And uh, because of the nature of the shipyard, it develops a real camaraderie with the workers. And uh, as we moved up in the in the management, we uh, we developed a, a a way of treating people that using the uh, carrot rather than the stick, which was the old policy. And uh, we got great results. And after one shipyard closed, we moved to another. And during that time in San Francisco, there were seven shipyards that closed, mm. one right after another, and we worked them all. And we're still friends today. Wow. Do you think actually that that precariousness of those jobs and also the, the danger, the actual physical danger, you think that's what kind of was what bonded you together? Oh, absolutely. You know, we had ne- never experienced anything like that be- before in our previous lives of uh, him being a farm boy and me uh, working at a ski shop. You know, it was <laughs> it was it was it was very different. Oh, man. Hey, thank you. Yeah, Jim, it's great to hear uh, that story as well. Uh, for those who don't know the history of the of the shipyard, too, that's a nice uh, a, a little potted history uh, of of that field, too. Um, I want to ask you, uh, Marissa Franco, about moving between someone being a work friend and them moving you know, into into a friend that's in a different category that has transcended a particular workplace, say, when. You know, the shipyard closes and you still get together for beers or something like that. Um, how did, how does that happen? And do you have any advice for people? Yeah, yeah. So Ryan Hubbard, he's the founder of this project called the Kite String Project. And he has this term repotting, which is basically changing the setting in which friends interact as a method towards deepening friendship. And I think for us to stop using the term work friend and start using the term friend, the friend (laughs) has to transcend the workplace. We have to start seeing each other in other settings. You know, I think someone mentioned going to happy hour with their friends or inviting them on a hike or going to a museum together. And I think it can feel scary and that's normal. But if you've developed a friend at work um, what, what it's going to require is you just saying like, oh, hey, like there's this museum I wanted to go to in the weekend, or I was thinking about taking a walk on Saturday. What, what do you think about joining me for that? Yeah. Yeah. Julie Beck, I mean, in your kind of big summary of what you learned running the friendship files, you had these different forces that fuel friendship. So what would you, for people who've got a, a work friend, they'd like to turn into just a friend. Um, what kind of advice would you have for them? Sure. Yeah. So I'll just quickly list them. Um, but the I essentially saw, you know, six forces that help people to kind of make and maintain friendships. Um, one is accumulation, which is just time spent together, as we've been talking about attention, like paying attention to opportunities for friendship and especially in unexpected places. Um, intention, which I think gets a little bit more into advice, um, which is just um as we've been saying, you know, friendship is probably not just going to fall into your lap. You need to take like intentional action to, to grow and maintain those friendships. Um, another one is ritual. And I think that that's something that a lot of friends that I spoke with 
um, it really helped them to keep friendship a regular part of their lives um, in the sense that at least for me, like, I think the biggest barrier to seeing my friends more often is just the effort that goes into scheduling around everything in our lives. And like, when are we going to hang out and can you do Monday or Friday or whatever it is? So when you have something that's built in, like we get lunch every Friday um, or, you know, anything, anything that you like, a book club, um, a monthly hike, um, it, it can be very simple. Um, but just removing that barrier and having a shared understanding that we're going to see each other for this thing, um, I think that helps people really keep their friendships in their lives. Um, another one is imagination, and that's just kind of thinking outside the box that society wants to put friendships in and really trying to design your life so that friendship plays the role that you want it to. Mm. Um, and the last one is just grace, which is giving each other, you know, forgiveness and, and space to fall short when we don't meet those ideals. So I think all of that can apply to work friendships, right? Um, we do have to take a little bit of action, a little bit of imagination to move them out of the box of like just water cooler chat into something deeper. Yeah. Isabel writes, uh, listener, my first job was right after high school. My coworkers were all college-aged, friendly people and partied together way too much. Sexual relationships existed between many of the coworkers, including myself, and the line was severely blurred between management and employees. A lot of drama was caused by the proximity of our relationships, and essentially, I was around the same people 24-7 and even moved in with one of my coworkers. While I enjoyed the late nights and fun experiences, I did choose to leave that job because of some of the same people. And, you know, Emma Goldberg, this is kind of the cohort that you're talking about in your story. Young people, you know, in that same time of life. How do you, how should people try and manage not getting too close? I don't know exactly the, the, the right way of phrasing the question there, but how can they not have happened what happened to Isabel? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, at the root of all friendships, but particularly work friendships, should be respect, safety, communication, boundaries. Like, I think all of the, um, you know, kind of impulses to, to treat one another with respect and with kindness and and um, preserve the boundaries that make us all feel comfortable, um, all, all of that that we search and, and search for and, and create outside of the workplace um, can be all the more important uh, in, in the workplace as well. And I think um, in the last few years, the, the Me Too movement has um, forced into the open some really important conversations around um, boundaries and, and what makes people feel respected in the workplace. I think that that um, translates from romantic relationships into friendships as well. That communication is so important. Um, I, I do want to say, I think back to, you know, Julie brought up the word imagination. And I do think that um, something with workplace friendships is that we can think of it as like an, like an optional thing or like a, a nice to have, but not a must have. But I do think that um, kind of reimagining what the stakes of workplace friendships are and thinking of it as something that can really, um, you know, nourish us, make us feel like our best selves in the workplace, make us feel motivated at work, um, make us feel happy, you know, reimagining it as something that is um, as high stakes, important, takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of communication, can help us also build um, friendships that feel really nourishing and not like they're, you know, they're detracting um, or, or sucking something out of us. So I think kind of reimagining the stakes 
treating it as something really important and then bringing all of the communication effort and intention that you would bring to anything else in your life um, can be really important for building effective and, and happy friendships too. Um, and, and then lastly, on that point, I just want to say that I think when I started out this project, something that I noticed was that a lot of the ways we talk about friendships at work is as something that benefits the employer. Like we think of it as something that helps us be more productive or, um, you know, more, more effective at work. But it's, it's not just that. It's not just about, like, all being happier because we're being, like, cogs in the machine together. I think, you know, back to the earlier story someone mentioned about unionization. Ultimately, workplace friendships can really be about solidarity and about everyone supporting one another to, um, to navigate the workplace and get the, the most out of it that we can. So I think reimagining the stakes and then bringing all the effort and intention um, that we would to anything else that high stakes can help ensure that we're creating friendships that are really healthy, um, protective, and, and safe, and, and not just kind of, you know, fun and, and crazy, but, but really, um, you know, ultimately helping us thrive. Yeah. Let's bring in Amanda from San Francisco. Um, I'm calling because the most important workplace relationship that I've ever had was working at a senior living community during COVID and having multiple deadly outbreaks and having my workplace friendships become something that I can't even describe, having to work together and supporting each other physically and emotionally and watching, you know, people that we take care of every day and past and born together although I don't work there anymore because the trauma just was too much for me I these people hold such a close place to my heart and we still check in with each other all the time and meet up for lunch and I just am so grateful for those relationships oh wow Amanda that's a powerful story thank you thank you so much for sharing that with us uh, let's. I'm loving hearing your stories. Let's go straight to Sunshine in Walnut Creek. Hey, Sunshine. Good morning. I'm so glad that you took my phone call. I just wanted to say that I met my best friend at work. We were working graveyard shift. I was 18. She was 20. She has one child, and I was still single. I mean, I just graduated school. And um, to this day, I am 68. She's 70 years old. And we are still best friends. I think when you meet a friend, you would know whether that friend will be for life after a while. Because from friendship, she had become like a family member. Hmm. You know, now my whole family knows her. Her whole family knows me, our kids. We went through divorces, deaths, marriages, you know, kids' birthday and all that stuff. So... Now she's become aunties to our kids. So that's how, you know, um, friendship developed, you know, from just co-workers to being best friends for life. Hey, Sunshine, how did you know that she would be a friend for life from you? Like, was there a particular moment? You know, or Good morning, Yeah, you're... you know what? I think it's because when you share life experiences, even though if you just met, if you guys are both open people, you will talk about your life. So it, I think it's what we're going through in our life at that stage. And whether you're free to share it with the other person is, I think that's the clue because, you know, you can't be close-minded or picky. I mean, 
I don't know, maybe it's just intuitive with me that mm-hmm. I know whether I can be friends with a certain person or if that person's too negative, I stay away mm-hmm. and all that. So I don't know, maybe it's just my yeah. sense, you know, or instincts that I know that this person will be a friend to me. And we are really supportive. As I don't know who mentioned it, that we have to be supportive of the relationship. Um, even her kids would ask, how come you guys are still friends? Don't you guys fight? No, we don't fight, but we do support each other, whatever we're going through, you know, whether I agree with her or not. I'll just tell her my opinion, and she'll respect yeah. that. And, you know, I think that's what's yeah. um, important is the communication. So it's yeah. um, you just have to be supportive of each other. That's beautiful, Sunshine. Thank you so much for sharing. Mm-hmm. Story of a lifelong friend. Uh, We have a bunch of comments as well. I want to get, uh, this one's kind of funny. Don writes, my first work friend and I worked at Tower Records in probably the late 80s in Hollywood. She is, in fact, one of my friends today. In fact, many of us remain friends throughout the years. Several people I remain friends with. I don't know if it was our age or the time or the 90s or that we were friends in the music scene. But yes, that was my first work friend who I still speak with some 20 years later. And Emma, this one's coming to you. Uh, Judette writes, First off, I read Emma's article and immediately sent it to all my first work friends because it resonated so much. My first work friends were actually when I worked in residence life at UCLA. They were fellow RAs. And those experiences were definitely unique and brought us closer together because of the shared experience. We had to console our peers after 9-11, deal with mental health crises and other first responder type situations. We're all still very close and have maintained relationships for the last two decades. My question for Emma, is the core of these close friendships more about how the shared experiences bring people together? Or is it just about that, quote, time in our lives? I, I love that, that story, and I think that um, I think the experiences can serve as a springboard for the creation of, first of all, so many more experiences that transcend the workplace and for just the kinds of conversations that um, help you better understand yourself, help you better understand all the, the challenges and opportunities you're moving through in life. Um, you know, I was thinking about this because before I covered the workplace, at the times I covered medicine. And I wrote about a lot of the the doctors who worked alongside one another um, during the pandemic, but also during kind of previous medical crises, including the AIDS crisis and um, and 9-11 and and other experiences like that. And I think that those incredibly challenging experiences can form these bonds that feel unbreakable. But I think what really makes them unbreakable is that you also surround them in all these layers of, of other continued experiences, you know, happier memories together, also just phone calls when you call someone, check in on them, let them know you're thinking of them, help them um, through something that they're wrestling with. I think um, experiences can serve as um, a foundation for the types of relationships that really transform you. Uh, Dr. Franco, last uh, listener tweet here. Do you think people in management can have work friends? Does it have to be with others in management, or can you be friends with those working under you? Well, here's the thing. I think it's sort of like a, a both and, because I think it's really hard to form connection on a hierarchy, because when we're in a hierarchy with people, we tend to not share all of ourselves um, and I think the, the sort of vulnerability and authenticity is what really leads to the sort of deep, profound friendships that a lot of people are calling in about. 
But that being said, friendship is also a spectrum. And we can have those deep, profound friendships. And we can also have on the other end of the spectrum, sort of like a friendly acquaintance where we feel positive regard for one another and we appreciate each other and we value one another. And I think that sort of end of the spectrum will be easier to access when you're across different levels of a hierarchy. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Franco, one more for you. AJ tweets, is this something HR or hiring managers look for? I made great friends at my first job out of college, but when I moved here for work, everyone kept to themselves and it was pretty miserable. It took me almost two years to find a group and curious whether companies can or, or should uh, do more to facilitate work friends. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about um, selecting people for it because that can be sort of tricky <laughs> and you don't know how someone's going to act on the job. But I will say, I think I think um, workplace environments, if bosses and employers knew how important workplace is, workplace friendships are for all the things that they want from their employees, they would be very intentional about allowing people to create connections. Because if they do, people will stay in their workplace longer and they'll just be happier and they'll feel more fulfilled and they'll feel more able to take on challenges of work, which is what happens when we're alongside friends. We actually estimate that a, a hill is less steep. So it fundamentally changes our perception of reality and that we think things are a little bit lighter. And so I think at a systemic level, um, workplaces should definitely be intentional about creating opportunities to connect among employees. Yeah. Though, Julie, I, if I recall correctly, you hate enforced fun. <laughs> so it's a, kind of a kind of a fine line, yeah, between uh, you know, providing this this space, but also not making people um, be friends. Unfortunately, we're out of time. We've been talking about work friends, the people you spend eight hours a day with, get coffee with, et cetera. We've been joined by Julie Beck, senior editor at The Atlantic, editor of The Atlantic's Friendship Files. Thanks for joining us, Julie. Thank you so much for having me. Also joined by Dr. Marissa Franco, psychologist and friendship expert. Her new book coming out is called Platonic, How the Science of Attachment Can Help You Make and Keep Friends. Thank you, Dr. Franco. Thank you so much for including me. And finally, Emma Goldberg reporter at the New York Times whose article, The Magic of Your First Work Friends, inspired this segment. Thanks for the piece and thanks for coming on, Emma. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Thanks for everything, listeners. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone? hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years. 
or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.